0: Chapter 10 of Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by William Godwin. Chapter 10. I am now led by the course of my narrative to the last fatal scene of her life. She was taken in labour on Wednesday, the thirtieth of August. She had been somewhat indisposed on the preceding Friday, the consequence, I believe, of a sudden alarm, but from that time she was in perfect health she was so far from being under any apprehension as to the difficulties of childbirth as frequently to ridicule the fashion of ladies in england who keep their chambers for one full month after delivery for herself she proposed coming down to dinner on the day immediately following she had already had some experience on the subject in the case of fanny and i cheerfully submitted in every point to her judgment and her wisdom she hired no nurse influenced by ideas of decorum which certainly ought to have no place at least in cases of danger she determined to have a woman to attend her in the capacity of midwife she was sensible that the proper business of a midwife in the instance of a natural labour is to sit by and wait for the operations of nature which seldom in these affairs demand the interposition of art at five o'clock in the morning of the day of delivery she felt what she conceived to be some notices of the approaching labour mrs blenkinsop matron and midwife to the westminster lying-in hospital who had seen mary several times previous to her delivery was soon after sent for and arrived about nine during the whole day mary was perfectly cheerful her pains came on slowly and in the morning she wrote several notes three addressed to me who had gone as usual to my apartments for the purpose of study about two o'clock in the afternoon she went up to her chamber never more to descend the child was born at twenty minutes after eleven at night mary had requested that i would not come into the chamber till all was over and signified her intention of then performing the interesting office of presenting the new-born child to its father i was sitting in a parlour and it was not till after two o'clock on thursday morning that i received the alarming intelligence that the placenta was not yet removed and that the midwife dared not proceed any further and gave her opinion for calling in a male practitioner i accordingly went for dr poignand physician and man midwife to the same hospital who arrived between three and four hours after the birth of the child he immediately proceeded to the extraction of the placenta which he brought away in pieces till he was satisfied that the whole was removed In that point, however, it afterwards appeared that he was mistaken. The period from the birth of the child till about eight o'clock the next morning was a period full of peril and alarm. The loss of blood was considerable, and produced an almost uninterrupted series of fainting fits. I went to the chamber soon after four in the morning, and found her in this state. SHE TOLD ME some time ON THURSDAY THAT SHE SHOULD HAVE DIED THE PRECEDING NIGHT, BUT THAT SHE WAS DETERMINED NOT TO LEAVE ME. SHE ADDED, WITH ONE OF THOSE SMILES WHICH SO EMINENTLY ILLUMINATED HER COUNTENANCE, THAT I SHOULD NOT BE LIKE PORSON, ALLUDING TO THE CIRCUMSTANCE OF THAT GREAT MAN HAVING LOST HIS WIFE AFTER BEING ONLY A FEW MONTHS MARRIED. Speaking of what she had already passed through, she declared that she had never known what bodily pain was before. On Thursday morning, Dr. Poignand repeated his visit. Mary had just before expressed some inclination to see Dr. George Fordyce, a man probably of more science than any other medical professor in England, and between whom and herself there had long subsisted a mutual friendship. I mentioned this to Dr. Poignand, but he rather discountenanced the idea, observing that he saw no necessity for it, and that he supposed Dr. Fordyce was not particularly conversant with obstetrical cases, but that I would do as I pleased. After Dr. Poignand was gone, I determined to send for Dr. Fordyce. He accordingly saw the patient about three o'clock on Thursday afternoon he however perceived no particular cause of alarm and on that or the next day quoted as i am told mary's case in a mixed company as a corroboration of a favourite idea of his of the propriety of employing females in the capacity of midwives mary had had a woman and was doing extremely well what had passed however in the night between wednesday and thursday had so far alarmed me that i did not quit the house and scarcely the chamber during the following day but my alarms wore off as time advanced appearances were more favourable than the exhausted state of the patient would almost have permitted me to expect friday morning therefore i devoted to a business of some urgency which called me to different parts of the town and which before dinner i happily completed on my return and during the evening i received the most pleasurable sensations from the promising state of the patient i was now perfectly satisfied that everything was safe and that if she did not take cold or suffer from any external accident her speedy recovery was certain Saturday was a day less auspicious than Friday, but not absolutely alarming. Sunday, the 3rd of September, I now regard as the day that finally decided on the fate of the object dearest to my heart that the universe contained. Encouraged by what I considered as the progress of her recovery, I accompanied a friend in the morning in several calls— one of them as far as Kensington, and did not return till dinner-time. On my return, I found a degree of anxiety in every face, and was told that she had had a sort of shivering fit, and had expressed some anxiety at the length of my absence. My sister and a friend of hers had been engaged to dine below stairs, but a message was sent to put them off, and Mary ordered that the cloth should not be laid, as usual, in the room immediately under her on the first floor, but in the ground-floor parlour. I felt a pang at having been so long and so unseasonably absent, and determined that I would not repeat the fault. In the evening she had a second shivering fit, the symptoms of which were in the highest degree alarming. Every muscle of the body trembled, the teeth chattered, and the bed shook under her. This continued probably for five minutes. She told me, after it was over, that it had been a struggle between life and death, and that she had been more than once, in the course of it, at the point of expiring. I now apprehend these to have been the symptoms of a decided mortification— occasioned by the part of the placenta that remained in the womb at the time however i was far from considering it in that light when i went for dr Poignand, between two and three o'clock on the morning of thursday despair was in my heart the fact of the adhesion of the placenta was stated to me and ignorant as i was of obstetrical science i felt as if the death of mary was in a manner decided. But hope had revisited my bosom, and her cheerings were so delightful that I hugged her obstinately to my heart. I was only mortified at what appeared to me a new delay in the recovery I so earnestly longed for. I immediately sent for Dr. Fordyce, who had been with her in the morning, as well as on the three preceding days dr poignant had also called this morning but declined paying any further visits as we had thought proper to call in dr fordyce the progress of the disease was now uninterrupted on tuesday i found it necessary again to call in dr fordyce in the afternoon who brought with him dr clark of new burlington street under the idea that some operation might be necessary i have already said that i pertinaciously persisted in viewing the fair side of things and therefore the interval between sunday and tuesday evening did not pass without some mixture of cheerfulness on monday dr fordyce forbade the childs having the breast and we therefore procured puppies to draw off the milk this occasioned some pleasantry of mary with me and the other attendants Nothing could exceed the equanimity, the patience, and affectionateness of the poor sufferer. I entreated her to recover, I dwelt with trembling fondness on every favourable circumstance, and as far as it was possible in so dreadful a situation, she, by her smiles and kind speeches, rewarded my affection.' Wednesday was to me the day of greatest torture in the melancholy series. It was now decided that the only chance of supporting her through what she had to suffer was by supplying her rather freely with wine. This task was devolved upon me. I began about four o'clock in the afternoon, but for me, totally ignorant of the nature of diseases and of the human frame, thus to play with a life that now seemed all that was dear to me in the universe, was too dreadful a task. I knew neither what was too much, nor what was too little. Having begun, I felt compelled, under every disadvantage, to go on. This lasted for three hours. Towards the end of that time, I happened foolishly to ask the servant who came out of the room what she thought of her mistress— she replied that in her judgment she was going as fast as possible there are moments when any creature that lives has power to drive one into madness i seemed to know the absurdity of this reply but that was of no consequence it added to the measure of my distraction a little after seven i entreated a friend to go for mr carlyle and bring him instantly wherever he was to be found. He had voluntarily called on the patient on the preceding Saturday, and two or three times since. He had seen her that morning, and had been earnest in recommending the wine diet. That day he dined four miles out of town, on the side of the metropolis, which was furthest from us. Notwithstanding this, my friend returned with him after three-quarters of an hour absence. No one who knows my friend will wonder either at his eagerness or success when I name Mr. Basil Montague. The sight of Mr. Carlyle thus unexpectedly gave me a stronger alleviating sensation than I thought it possible to experience. Mr. Carlyle left us no more from Wednesday evening, to the hour of her death. It was impossible to exceed his kindness and affectionate attention. It excited in every spectator a sentiment like adoration. His conduct was uniformly tender and anxious, ever upon the watch, observing every symptom, and eager to improve every favourable appearance. If skill or attention could have saved her, Mary would still live— in addition to mr carlyle's constant presence she had dr fordyce and dr clark every day she had for nurses or rather for friends watching every occasion to serve her mrs fenwick author of an excellent novel entitled secrecy another very kind and judicious lady and a favourite female servant i was scarcely ever out of the room Four friends—Mr Fenwick, Mr Basil Montague, Mr Marshall, and Mr Dyson—sat up nearly the whole of the last week of her existence in the house, to be dispatched on any errand to any part of the metropolis at a moment's warning.' Mr Carlyle being in the chamber, I retired to bed for a few hours on Wednesday night. Towards morning— he came into my room with an account that the patient was surprisingly better. I went instantly into the chamber, but I now sought to suppress every idea of hope. The greatest anguish I have any conception of consists in that crushing of a new-born hope which I had already two or three times experienced. If Mary recovered, it was well, and I should see it time enough, but it was too mighty a thought to bear being trifled with, and turned out and admitted in this abrupt way. I had reason to rejoice in the firmness of my gloomy thoughts when, about ten o'clock on Thursday evening, Mr. Carlyle told us to prepare ourselves, for we had reason to expect the fatal event every moment. To my thinking, she did not appear to be in that state of total exhaustion which I supposed to precede death. But it is probable that death does not always take place by that gradual process I had pictured to myself. A sudden pang may accelerate his arrival. She did not die on Thursday night. Till now it does not appear that she had any serious thoughts of dying. But on Friday and Saturday, the two last days of her life, she occasionally spoke as if she expected it. This was, however, only at intervals. The thought did not seem to dwell upon her mind. Mr. Carlyle rejoiced in this. He observed, and there is great force in the suggestion, that there is no more pitiable object than a sick man that knows he is dying. The thought must be expected to destroy his courage, to cooperate with the disease. And to counteract every favourable effort of nature. On these two days, her faculties were in too decayed a state to be able to follow any train of ideas with force or any accuracy of connection. Her religion, as I have already shown, was not calculated to be the torment of a sick bed, and in fact, during her whole illness, not one word of a religious cast fell from her lips. She was affectionate and compliant to the last. I observed on Friday and Saturday nights that, whenever her attendants recommended to her to sleep, she discovered her willingness to yield by breathing, perhaps for the space of a minute, in the manner of a person that sleeps, though the effort, from the state of her disorder, usually proved ineffectual. She was not tormented by useless contradiction. One night the servant, from an error of judgment, teased her with idle expostulations, but she complained of it grievously, and it was corrected. "'Pray, pray, do not let her reason with me,' was her expression. "'Death itself is scarcely so dreadful to the enfeebled frame,' as the monotonous importunity of nurses everlastingly repeated. Seeing that every hope was extinct, I was very desirous of obtaining from her any directions that she might wish to have followed after her decease. Accordingly, on Saturday morning, I talked to her for a good while of the two children. In conformity to Mr. Carlyle's maxim of not impressing the idea of death, I was obliged to manage my expressions. I therefore affected to proceed wholly upon the ground of her having been very ill, and that it would be some time before she could expect to be well, wishing her to tell me anything that she would choose to have done respecting the children, as they would now be principally under my care. After having repeated this idea to her in a great variety of forms, she at length said, "'with a significant tone of voice. "'I know what you were thinking of,' "'but added that she had nothing to communicate to me upon the subject. "'The shivering fits had ceased entirely for the two last days. "'Mr. Carlyle observed that her continuance was almost miraculous, "'and that he was on the watch for favourable appearances, "'believing it highly improper to give up all hope, "'and remarking, that perhaps one in a million of persons in her state might possibly recover i conceive that not one in a million unites so good a constitution of body and of mind these were the amusements of persons in the very gulf of despair at six o'clock on sunday morning september the tenth mr carlyle called me from my bed to which i had retired at one in conformity to my request, that I might not be left to receive all at once the intelligence that she was no more. She expired at twenty minutes before eight. Her remains were deposited on the 15th of September, at ten o'clock in the morning, in the churchyard of the parish church of St. Pancras, Middlesex. A few of the persons she most esteemed attended the ceremony, And a plain monument is now erecting on the spot by some of her friends with the following inscription Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman, born the twenty seventh of April, seventeen fifty nine, died tenth of September, seventeen ninety seven. The loss of the world in this admirable woman. I leave to other men to collect my own. I well know, nor can it be improper to describe it. I do not here allude to the personal pleasures I enjoyed in her conversation, these increased every day in proportion as we knew each other better, and as our mutual confidence increased. They can be measured only by the treasures of her mind and the virtues of her heart but this is a subject for meditation, not for words. What I purposed alluding to was the improvement that I have forever lost. We had cultivated our powers, if I may venture to use this sort of language, in different directions. I chiefly attempt at logical and metaphysical distinction. She, a taste for the picturesque, ONE OF THE LEADING PASSIONS OF MY MIND HAS BEEN AN ANXIOUS DESIRE NOT TO BE DECEIVED. THIS HAS LED ME TO VIEW THE TOPICS OF MY REFLECTION ON ALL SIDES, AND TO EXAMINE AND RE-EXAMINE WITHOUT END THE QUESTIONS THAT INTEREST ME. BUT IT WAS NOT MERELY, TO JUDGE AT LEAST FROM ALL THE REPORTS OF MY MEMORY IN THIS RESPECT, THE DIFFERENCE OF PROPENSITIES, That made the difference in our intellectual habits. I have been stimulated, as long as I can remember, by an ambition for intellectual distinction. But, as long as I can remember, I have been discouraged when I have endeavoured to cast the sum of my intellectual value by finding that I did not possess, in the degree of some other men, an intuitive perception of intellectual beauty i have perhaps a strong and lively sense of the pleasures of the imagination but i have seldom been right in aligning to them their proportionate value but by dint of persevering examination and the change and correction of my first opinions what i wanted in this respect mary possessed in a degree superior to any other person i ever knew The sense of her mind lay in intuition. She was often right by this means only, in matters of mere speculation. Her religion, her philosophy, in both of which the errors were comparatively few and the strain dignified and generous, were, as I have already said, the pure result of feeling and taste. She adopted one opinion and rejected another, spontaneously by a sort of tact and the force of a cultivated imagination and yet though perhaps in the strict sense of the world she reasoned little it is surprising what a degree of soundness is to be found in her determinations but if this quality was of use to her in topics that seem the proper province of reasoning it was much more so in matters directly appealing to the intellectual taste. In a robust and unwavering judgment of this sort, there is a kind of witchcraft. When it decides justly, it produces a responsive vibration in every ingenuous mind. In this sense, my oscillation and scepticism were fixed by her boldness. When a true opinion emanated in this way from another mind the conviction produced in my own assumed a similar character instantaneous and firm this species of intellect probably differs from the other chiefly in the relation of earlier and later what the one perceives instantaneously circumstances having produced in it either a premature attention to objects of this sort or a greater boldness of decision the other receives only by degrees what it wants seems to be nothing more than a minute attention to first impressions and a just appreciation of them habits that are never so effectually generated as by the daily recurrence of a striking example this light was lent to me for a very short period and is now extinguished for ever While I have described the improvement I was in the act of receiving, I believe I have put down the leading traits of her intellectual character. End of chapter ten. End of Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by William Godwin.